This is a Theology Matters podcast. I'm your host, Josh Malden, and I'm here today with uh, CTI member Jan Olaf Henriksen, who is a professor of the philosophy of religion at the Norwegian School of Theology, Religion, and Society in Oslo, Norway. Trained as a theologian and a philosopher, he holds doctorates in both disciplines and has worked uh, in interdisciplinary inquiry for over three decades. He's published amazingly over 50 books and is presently working as, as a scholar in residence here at CTI in Princeton on a book on theological anthropology in the Anthropocene. He has previously been a visiting scholar or held fellowships in Durham, Oxford, Amsterdam, and he was a part of CTI's research workshop um, inquiry in 2012-2013 on religion and human nature, and, and indeed had been at CTI previously in 2006-07. So, uh, a long-time CTI member. Welcome to the podcast, Jan Olaf. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Well, today um, I want to talk about your recently published book, and I think in a follow-up second episode, we'll talk about your forthcoming book on theological anthropology. But today we're going to talk about a book that you put out just this year, published in 2022 with TNT Clark, and the title is Climate Change and the Symbol Deficit in the Christian Tradition expanding gendered resources. So this book is already out. And then later we'll talk about another book that you've got coming out. You're very prolific. You've always got one in the pipeline, which I, I'm very impressed by um, as we all are. So let's focus on this book and maybe uh, just as a starting point, talk about what, what led you to write it. And you could start as early as you want on that, whether it's wherever you got interested in this topic. Well, I've been interested in uh, the question about uh, theology and ecological issues for more than three decades, as you said. So uh, that is uh, kind of an old interest. But due to uh, the present accelerating situation with the climate change, I found reasons to think through again to what extent we can bring Christian faith into dialogue with these um, things happening. and. Um, to see if um, there's resources in the Christian tradition for developing further understanding or perhaps even find new ways to, to articulate what Christian faith can be in the context of climate change. And um, against that back backdrop, I kind of formulated a, perhaps a little bit provocatively phrased um, thesis about the symbol deficit in the Christian tradition. Uh, which basically is to say that, okay, the, most of the resources in the Christian tradition are developed uh, in another context than the one in which we find ourselves presently. And this is especially important to consider in a time of climate change where nature is no longer a kind of stable background, as Latour says, uh, not longer a stable background to human agency and human action. Um, and what we articulate through Christian faith, but it's something that is moving and which challenges us to think about how we relate not only to the past of tradition, but also to the future of the planet. So that is kind of how I came to work on these issues. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you, you started to hint at my next question, but maybe I'll get you to sort of unpack it further, which is what you meant by the symbol deficit uh, in the Christian tradition. Can you say a bit more about that? What I mean by that is that uh, there is a kind of lacuna or there might be elements in the Christian tradition that we need to develop further in order to address 
the question about how to understand and interpret climate change. And what I wanted to do in the book was uh, to address especially, especially the kind of resources that we might find in other types of human experience than those who have usually been uh, considered in the Christian tradition, which is a very kind of male-dominant tradition or male-dominated tradition. Um, uh, so I um, employ um, diverse um, authors uh, and especially female authors in order to um, kind of fill out what I see as that deficit. And one of the kind of basic symbols that I, I use is the one about carrying the future under our hearts, which means basically that in everything we do, we do relate to how the future, when we will not be, will still be, and how we condition it by our way of living in the world. And I, I think that's a very prominent and very strong experience that every woman who has had a child um, uh, is able to relate to, to immediately and which a lot of us who have uh, been partners with or know of women who have had that experience also easily can understand. There are also resources for seeing how women is able to develop this experience of what Hannah Arendt called natality. Um, how how um, that is something that is helpful also to interpret different um, elements in the Christian tradition. Um, and that it is by natality that God is also able to create something new. Uh, so I do not think that this is something just taken out of the thin air, but it's something that we need to develop and can develop further. Maybe speak also about this idea of the Anthropocene, just a basic definition and and what you're doing with that idea. I know it also comes up in your forthcoming book as well. Yeah. Um, the Anthropocene is um, uh, kind of playing on the notion that there are different geological eras in the history of the planet. And some geologists about 50 years ago or so started speaking about the Anthropocene as the era in which everything that take, uh, happens or occurs on this planet is in some way or another uh, impacted by humans. So it is the uh, era in which humans, so to say, uh, leave their, their traces everywhere. Um, and this is very important in order to understand what I earlier mentioned about how um, nature is no longer a kind of stable background for human agency but it is something that is uh, impacted by human agency and responds to it. So there's a kind of strong dynamics that makes it necessary to reconsider how um, and on what terms we are presently acting when it comes to the uh, ecological conditions for all of life on the planet, not only human life, but all of life on the planet. You begin the book by talking about the problem of an idea of acts of God, and you differentiate yeah. that with a more kind of vision that you're articulating now of, lo of locating human responsibility, you know, throughout nature. Maybe speak to that as well. 
Yeah, um, earlier um, one talked about um, things that were outside of human control, but which nevertheless in some way or another uh, impacted on human uh, life or human society or culture as acts of God. These were different catastrophes or things that uh, insurance companies would say that, okay, no human can be responsible for this or that. Um, that is a notion that I, I think we need to uh, leave behind, uh, especially in the Anthropocene, where everything that happens, even when it comes to climate or to, to natural disasters or something, uh, may be something that is also related to human agency. So, so that's the reason why I build up and um, problematize mm -hmm. this contrast between acts of God and the Anthropocene. Mm -hmm. You speak of theology as providing an orientation. That's a key aspect in your view of what theology does. And maybe you can talk a bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, if I could add to that, I, I wouldn't say it only um, helps with orientation, but also with transformation. I think the transformative aspect is also integral to the whole way of understanding theology. Because I basically understand theology for, from what I would call a pragmatic point of view, which entails that it's a question of what, for what use we employ theology and theological resources. And um, it's quite easy, I think, to understand how uh, theology employs uh, or provides orientation in that regard, because Theology is about how we understand our relationships with others, with God, uh, where we come from, what are the basic means or goals for human life, and so on and so forth. What we need to put first, what we need to prioritize, what we can disregard as not so important, and, uh, and so on. But theology is not only then about orienting yourself in uh, world that already exists and find our place, so to say, but it's also about understanding how we need to or might transform this world into something that is a better place for every living being, not only for humans, but for every living being. And I think the transformative aspect of, of uh, uh, theology and the religion in gen general is something that uh, we all have experienced in some way or another, but which we need to also highlight again in the present uh, circumstances. Um, theology is, of course, also, and it, that is my third kind of way of describing it, providing means for reflection or for legitimating different practices that we have with regard to orientation or transformation. But this reflective element cannot be understood apart from the orientation and transformation dimensions in theology and religion. Where do you see theology as making its biggest contribution uh, to the problem of climate change? I know you probably don't see it making a kind of direct sort of solving the problem, or maybe you do, but maybe speak to that. And then I have a follow-up as well. Uh, that's a tricky question because in one way, I do not think that theology um, will have a strong impact on how to counter climate change. But I think it is important that those who are believers are helped to see that what is going on with regard to climate change is something that's directly 
related to their faith and to their faith practices. And uh, this is not something one should leave as unattended or leave over to God to take care of. This is something that challenges everyone who cares about God's creation to, to also do something with. So indirectly, I think it has uh, some impact. But um, I do not think we should kind of enhance the illusion, uh, the illusion that um, uh, theology is going to solve it because that's not going to happen. You talk about Lynn White, uh, who wrote an important paper back in the 60s on Christianity and the climate crisis or, or in the environmental crisis at the time. What, what is your response to that? And essentially the question of, do you see Christianity and Christian theology as in some sense to blame for the environmental crisis? No, I do not, um, to put it shortly. Um, I think that uh, Lynn White's important contribution is that he sparked uh, a wave of important reflections about how Christians relate to and do not relate to environmental issues. And in that regard, he was very helpful and instrumental in, in doing so. But in general, I think that he has a kind of idealist way of thinking about uh, Christianity and, uh, and, and the environment, which I find problematic. I think that what has basically caused the climate crisis is not what people believe in, but it is uh, the practices that people have and which have um, been kind of running on uncorrected um, for a too long time. So uh, I think that um, it is practice and not ideas that has caused the climate crisis. Uh, then, Against that backdrop, you could also ask, of course, if there has been sufficient theologically relevant reflections about um, doing some kind of critique of these practices. But that would be a kind of second step, I think. Uh, but to think that ideas has caused this, I think uh, that is uh, a wrong way to perceive the whole thing. When you look at where we are, as a human species across the globe, two-part question, what gives, in, in terms of the climate crisis, what gives you, sort of keeps you up at night, gives you the most uh, despair that we can deal with this problem, but also where do you see the biggest signs of hope? Well, in terms of what causes despair, I, I think that um, the inaction, the lack of um, uh, significant political action in order to counter it and the, whole deference, do you say that in English? The whole deference? Yeah, defer uh, deferral, perhaps. Postponing yeah. Uh, yeah. Procrastinate. <laughs> sufficient um, means yeah. or measures in order to counter it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's deeply problematic. And I, I think that is really a cause for concern or even for despair. Um, I also think that we in the Western and wealthy part of the world, um, are to some extent ignorant about the impact of this already, although we do experience it uh, increasingly more in terms, terms of drought, in terms of um, desertification, in terms of flooding, uh, all these things that comes closer. 
but I think that as long as we are able to also keep them at arm's length, it will also legitimize our deference of, of um, sufficient action. Where I see the hope, I see the hope in people who act in solidarity with the whole of creation, who are the grassroots movements that uh, grow, to put it that way, and which may um, eventually um, be able to, to cause enough uh, resistance to say that politics as they now are um, performed cannot go on as before. But I'm afraid that these movements um, will not be able to make uh, politicians and others change in time. So we are really up for a big challenge here. And I, I also would say that one of the things that is problematic in the, problem, uh, in the present um, situation is that people think of climate, the climate crisis as something that might come, that is underway. But uh, that is not the case. It's already here. Uh, it's just that we do not perceive its full impact in all parts of the world yet. Sobering reflection, but thank you so much for being on the podcast. Your recent book uh, published, just recently published, is Climate Change and the Symbol Deficit in the Christian Tradition, Jan Olaf Henriksen, published by TNT Clark. So Jan Olaf, thanks so much for being on the podcast and for being here at CTI in Princeton this semester. You're about to head back to Norway, so we wish you all the best. And I do want to have you back on for a second uh, episode on your forthcoming book. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks.